weeks ago, I began dealing with this topic, who is your life? Who is your life is the question that we have been dealing with or I've been dealing with because that is the most important question for us to ask ourselves as Christians. Just to go back and reiterate a couple of things, I believe that we are truly living in a time of redefinition. And what I mean by that is that we know that there are many laws that are being challenged ideologies are being challenged and even the definition of what a true Christian is being challenged and altered through misrepresentation and so obviously it is up to us to either embrace and say okay we're going to go ahead and just let the redefinition take place we're going to let everything just continue to fall out however it may or I can decide and I, and I want to drive this home because as I was praying today I want you to understand the reason why I continue to reiterate this stuff it is because it is important for me that you as a hearer of the word understand that little old you can make a big old difference there, were, there was only a couple of amens, and I need everyone to get it. Little old you can make a big old difference. Hey, that, 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 now, now, now we're getting it. Praise the Lord. Talk to me, church. See, see, the thing is that when we're talking about redefinition, I want you to realize something. You are a definition walking. Did you hear me? You are a definition that is walking. You are the definition of a Christian to every one of the pe uh, every one of the persons that you work with. You are a definition of what a Christian is to every person that you go to school with. You are a definition. Students, you are a definition to every teacher that you walk into that classroom of what a Christian is. Are you giving a good definition? Not good by your standards, not good by my standards, not good by the standards of everybody. No, no. But by the standards of the word of God, are you giving the good definition? You see, because if us Christians that are up, up in this place right here would decide that every person, well, or not, not that every person, but if every one of us would decide that we are going to be diligent about being the best definition of what a Christian is, we can make great changes. Amen. You see, because the reality is this, is that the definition doesn't begin when you walk into the door. Mm -mm. The definition doesn't begin when you enter into the situation. The definition began when you got up in the morning and sought God's face or you didn't. Mm -hmm. I, I, I know you don't want to hear that, glory to God. That, that, that's when the, that, because what happens is we are being defined by God or not. Did you hear me? We are either in the place of being defined in relationship with him and allowing him to define who we are or we're not. Bottom line, is either I, it's one or the other. You can't halfway be allowing him to define you. Hello. When God told Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house, he didn't say that the pot was, you know, halfway marred. He said the pot was marred. So that means that if it was halfway messed up, it was messed up. Did you hear what I just said? If it's halfway messed up, it's messed up. And so what does that mean? That means that it is important for us to grasp this message as not just something that I'm just trying to get through a series or something. No, 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 no. But that you and I re really understand that we can make a big difference. And I want you to embrace this message as understanding, hold on a second. I'm not going to let the definition of Christianity be messed up because of me. I'm not going to let the definition of Christianity be messed up because of my testimony or the lack thereof. Hello? So I'm going to be that person that is going to live this life that is according to what the scriptures teach. Because remember, we're still dealing with the series Christian Living. And so we got to make this decision. Are we going to allow God to define us or are we going to let other things define us? Are we going to allow our past to define us? We shouldn't. Hello? Are we going to allow our surroundings to define us? 
You know, because sometimes we got some negative surroundings, we have negative folks around us, and we have a decision. We are either going to allow them to define us or they can reject us. See, the moment that you decide that they're not going to define you, they will reject you. Hello. Did you, did you hear what I said? The moment you decide that, no, no, you, you're not going to define me. I, I'm going to be the man of God. I'm going to be the woman of God that God has called me to be. There's going to be some rejection taking place because not everybody's going to respect you. Hello. Not everybody's going to respect that position. Not everybody's going to respect the way that you want to live a righteous life. Some folks are going to make fun. You know, you hear about young ladies in school telling folks that they're virgins and they're still walking in purity. And people look at them like, is something wrong with you? It's a joke. Did something happen? No, 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 no. I met Jesus. Hello. That's what happened. Young men, you know, I, 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 lo I love it when I hear young men who are standing proud in their virginity. Amen, somebody? Because, see, the problem is that us, you know, you know when, when, when you look at men, you know, it's, you know, in the world, you know, how many notches you got on your belt, you know, how many women you slept with, you know, that makes you a real man. Listen, the devil is a liar. What makes you a real man in this day and age is can you save yourself until you get married for that one woman that God created you to be with? Hello, somebody. That's the biblical definition of a real man, one who has been saving himself, one who's been purifying himself, one who's been saying no to every heathen. Hello, somebody. Even, even, even the ones, you know, that they look like Christians. Hello, someone. You see, can, can, can I just say this for a moment? You know, it's a sad thing that, 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 that men in the world, you know, they be like, Yo, I got to go to church to find me a girl. Now, why do I say that's sad? Because they ain't saying I need to go to church so I can find a girl that I can wait to get married to. That ain't what they're saying. Did you hear what I'm saying? See, what they're saying is I got to go ahead because, see, them girls in church, they're going to do some stuff, but they have some little morals. Hello. I said little, because they know there's certain things you shouldn't do. But, you know, we love each other. Remember last week I was talking, the week before I was talking about fornication, not a good thing. Hello, somebody. We, we, we're not going to go back there. I just read the scriptures for you so you could be reminded because those things are supposed to be put to death. But that is a sad situation, church. You know what's another sad situation? I hate it because, you know, you see women, and, and, and again, you know, you, you, you hear women talking about, you know, men, and, and they, they ain't no more good men today. And they ain't even saying, go to the church and find a good man. They ain't even saying that. That's bad, church. Did you hear that? They, they're not even saying, go to the church and find a good man. Why? Because we are not living the definition. We are not allowing ourselves to be defined by who? Christ. See, if we were allowing ourselves to be defined by Christ, you want, to know what the, you, know, you want to know what the conversation would change to? For those men talking about go to church to find a woman, they'd be like, if you want to get your life right and you want a good woman of God to stand by your side, go to church. But you better get your life right because they ain't doing nothing else you want to do. Hello, somebody. And when them other folks are talking, you know, and when the ladies are talking about they ain't no good men, they're going to say, they ain't no good men in the clubs, they ain't no good men in the bars, there's probably not a whole lot of good men in the workplace, but you know what? Go to the house of God and there's some godly men. Did you hear me? That's what would happen if we were living the definition of what a true Christian is. But because we don't live that, there's all kind of distortion and all kind of perversion out there. And so we have a responsibility to make sure that we are embracing Christ as our life. Because when Christ is our life, our focus changes. When Christ 
Is our life, our focus changes. Why? Remember we read this in verse 1. In verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on earth. So when Christ is our life, where's where our mind at? It's on him. Again, that doesn't mean that I'm walking around with my head in the clouds. That means that I'm walking around with my heart in his hands. Did you hear me? I'm, I'm, I'm not walking around floating somewhere because that's not true. But I am living a life with a focus. Everything that I'm doing is going through the filter. Does this bring glory to him? Does this honor him? Does this enthrone him? Is he pleased with these conversations? Is he pleased with these actions? Is he pleased with these decisions? Is he pleased with my behavior? Is he pleased with my disposition? Is he pleased with what I'm laughing at? Is he pleased with what I'm making others laugh at? Is he pleased? See, this is what begins to happen inside of us when we are living a life that our mind is set on things above. Our mind is set on Christ who is seated enthroned in glory. That's what happens when he is our life. When he's not our life, we're focused on other stuff. So the bottom line is we cannot deny what we're striving after. What are we striving after? Are we striving after? I was, I, you know, I, I was watching this movie, and um, I can't even remember the name of the movie, but it was, it, it was, uh, it was about, it was, it's, it's, I think it's an older picture or whatever the case is. But anyway. I was watching this movie, and there, there was just one line, you know, that, that stood out to me. And I didn't hear the whole line, and I didn't hit rewind, so I can't tell you the whole quote. But here's, here's, here's the gist of the quote. And the quote was, don't live your life thinking about the consequences of eternity. <laughs> don't live your life thinking about the consequences of eternity. Obviously, this was not a Christian movie. Hello, somebody. Okay. <laughs> Don't live your life thinking about the consequence, thinking about eternal consequences. Hold the time out. Time out. If you're a Christian, hear me, listen to me, listen to me. If you have truly repented before God and you have asked God to forgive your sins and he is truly the Lord and leader of your life, you want to know what? You don't need to be worried about hell. Amen? And anybody here secure in Christ? Anybody? Just, just anybody. I mean, I'm secure in Christ. I'm not worried about hell. I ain't worried. I'm, I'm not living to try to get out of hell. He already got me out of hell. But I am going to tell you this. I am living my life because I realize that when I go to heaven, I'm going to be rewarded for some stuff. Did you hear me? So if you are a Christian, you should be living your life with eternity in mind. You should be concerned. Man, when I go before God, is he going to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant? Is every single thing that he has in store for me, am I going to be able to enjoy it and rejoice in it? Or am I going to go before God and be there just like, well, you know, I did all right. No, 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 it ain't doing all right, church. We have got to come before him and what? We have got to make sure, and this is a statement that I heard someone say, we have got to spend every bit of our lives on God. When we go to God, we should desire to go to him on empty. In other words, I left it all on this earth. I left every bit of my life. I, le I did every single thing that your word commanded. I did every single thing that your spirit directed. I did every single thing that I could do to align myself with your kingdom purpose and your will. That's, that's the way that a Christian, someone who is washed in the blood, that's your mindset of eternity. Now, if, because you may be a person in here, you have not submitted your life to Jesus, you need to be thinking about eternity from a different perspective. 
Because here's the reality. The reality is, if you're not walking with Jesus, if he is not the Lord of your life, if he's not the leader of your life, there is an eternal destination that you are walking towards, and that is called hell. An eternity separated from God. And so here's the thing. The statement in the movie is ridiculous because the point of it was, have fun, live life, do what you want, party, do everything you want to do, enjoy everything, don't worry about eternity. The devil is a liar. Because you will find after you had all of that fun, I don't know about you, but when I think about eternity, it's a word that is beyond our mental ability to really grasp, okay? It, it, it is a word that, I'm, but, but, but do you understand for all of eternity, you, you will be, if you do not, now hear, hear this, hear this. For you, if you are in this place today, and you know, since Sister Anna pointed out to us that we are a global ministry, amen, somebody, glory to God, the nations. And, I, and, and you know, I'm going to just confirm what she said. My, my brother, I mean, we, 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 we may not be out of Florida yet, praise the Lord, but it's all right. But not, we, we are because I've gotten emails from different places. But anyway, my brother tells me the other day that he has somebody at his job. This guy goes home every night, every night, because, you know, we have a lot of, uh, of, of, of preachings on there. He said every night this guy goes home and he's listening to the preachings that are being preached. And he comes in there and he's like, man, I'm going to go visit your brother's church. And he's like, well, my brother's going to hurt your feelings, you know, so whatever. You know, but, but the point of the matter is, glory to God. You know, he's like, why you say that? He said, man, because he ain't preaching to make you happy. He's preaching to get you right. So anyway, anyway, the thing is that, you know, we're out there. And so you may be someone who is hearing this via radio or whatever the case may be, internet. And so, so, so the reality is you are not, if you do not know him and you are not walking with him, you got to think about this. All of eternity, all of eternity you're going to spend. And you know what? I, and, and this is just this is my understanding of eternity because this is, this is the sorrow of being separated from God. Because I don't just think that it's just the heat that is going to be the issue. I don't think that it's just the burning that's going to be the issue. I think it's going to be the consciousness that you had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And that's going to be playing for eternity. Not for five minutes, not for ten minutes, not for 36 hours. No, it is going to be played for eternity over and over. Man, I could have got right that day. I could have got right that day. And he was there this day. And he, see, that is a torment of soul that a person who does not know God to be separated from him. That is the thing that is going to be eating at people who do not know God. It's not just the fire, church. The fire is real and the suffering is real. But there is a consciousness that I had opportunities to give my life and I didn't. I'm going to think about all the fun I had. You know, I think about when I was in youth ministry. And I'm, I met a young lady the other day. Well, I, you know, I, I was reacquainted with a young lady the other day. We were at, a, at the Oviedo, Taste of Oviedo, and a young lady was walking through there. And so I couldn't remember her name or whatever the case was. But she was, she was telling me that she used to come to youth ministry. And she said, yeah, I remember when, when, when I was in youth ministry. And you'll be preaching the messages and talking about the clubs. And then right after youth ministry, I was going to the club. And I'm like, Jesus, what happened? Now listen, the reason why this is important is because if this young lady would have died, can you imagine that playing in her mind? Jason Quinones over here talking about y'all going to the club, getting jiggy with it, because that's what I was saying at that time, somewhere somewhere around there. And then, and, 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 and she's in eternity. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I see myself leaving that service to go to the club and get jiggy with it. And now look, I'm getting jiggy with it all of eternity. That's a long time. And that ain't jiggy like you want to get. Hello, somebody. 
That's not how you want to be. That's not how you want to spend You want to spend eternity where? In the glorious presence of Almighty God, enjoying and basking in Him. So it is very important that we live our lives with eternity in mind. So you're one of two people in here. You are either walking with Jesus or you are not. If you are not, today is the day. Pastor Anna prayed it. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can submit yourself to God and you can ask Him to come into your life and walk with you and lead you. You can do that today. And if you're a person that is not, listen, get your mind on eternity. If you have walked with, if you've accepted him and you don't need that prayer, but you need to walk with him, listen, consider your ways. Are you living your life spending every moment, every breath, every part of you with one thing in mind, pleasing him? That's how we're supposed to be, church. Hello? Not living for this flesh. The apostle Paul continues on. The second point that I made, the first one was that who our life is determines our focus. The second point that I made, who our life is determines our affinities. And you remember that we talked about all of those things. We talked about sexual immorality. We talked about passions and lust. We talked about anger and wrath. We talked about lying and blasphemy. We talked about all of those things that the apostle Paul is saying. Take all of those things off. Put them away. In other words, he's speaking to the church. Let's remind ourselves. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world he's he's not this is not an evangelistic letter that he wrote this is a letter to the church and he's reminding the church people don't live in anger don't live wrathful don't live lusting don't he's he's telling the church don't be a blasphemer don't be a slanderer don't talk about people in a way that is going to make them look bad unnecessarily don't do the he is communicating these things to the church he's telling the church don't lie to one another Don't be liars. Be truthful people. Be honest. He's talking to the church. He's reminding the church because you know what happens to the church? We get saved. We give our life to Jesus. We have a wonderful, glorious experience with him. We have some wonderful times with him. And then slowly but surely what begins to happen is, you know, we go ahead and say, well, you know, I pray tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. We start strong reading our Bibles, and then you know what? I'll read that chapter, you know, tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. Before you know it, it's the end of the year, and you stop reading in the book of Genesis. That's the book of beginnings. So you started your year right. Hello, somebody. And at the end of the year, you're not in the book of Genesis because you went around it so quick. No, no, no. You never got out of the book of Genesis. So what happens? You start reading your Bible. You stop praying and seeking God's face. What occurs? All of a sudden, you start to find that those things that you used to do become easy again. You start doing those same things you used to do. Before, you wouldn't even think about lying. You were convicted about it. Now, all of a sudden, it's all right. It's just a white lie. Ain't no such thing. It's just a little lie. It's still a lie. Keep telling little lies. That makes you what? A liar. And you know what? Liars do not inherit the kingdom of God. So listen, let me help you to understand something. If you are not inheriting the kingdom of God, you are inheriting another kingdom. Hello? Little lies take you right to hell. Hello? So we find here that if we're not seeking the face of God, we're not going after God, we begin to fall into filthy language. First got saved, my, my, my mother can testify to you. I had the worst mouth on planet Earth. I feel bad for my mom, you know, because she was, you know, she was real sweet with me, you know, loved me to death. I'd be up in the house, and I'd start cursing, and she'd be like, stop cursing. I'd be like, what the? And I'd curse again just to spite her. And I was too big, I guess, for her to slap me in the mouth, glory to God. But when I was younger, I would have got slapped. But I guess I got to that age where I felt kind of bold, you know, and so she would just deal with it, whatever the case was. After I got saved, you can ask her, I, it was like instantaneous. 
my vocabulary changed. I mean, like crazy change. I mean, I, I would be, I was amazed at that. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like someone was almost slipping out. Nothing was slipping out. One day I got mad, and she'll probably remember this one. One day I got mad in my room, and I made myself curse. I don't even know why I did it. I was just like so mad, and I was like, and I just said this really bad word. I'm not going to say it now. But anyway, I said it, and my mom and my brother and sister were sitting in, in the living room, and they were like, ooh, Jason cursed. It was, it was like all ears were on me in that room. And I don't even know what I was upset about. It was just something. And you know what? But the fact is, it wasn't easy to do. But you know what happens? You give your life to Jesus. And, you, and why is it? It's because when Christ comes into your life, the liberator has entered into your life. Glory to God. The one who sets you free has come into your life. He has now taken the throne of your heart. He is now directing and guiding your steps. And so the reason why it's easy not to sin is because you're so in love with him. That's what the book of Revelation calls your first love. Oh, glory to God. You are deeply, passionately in love with him. It's easy not to lust. It's easy not to curse. It's easy not to laugh at, at, at messed up jokes. It's easy not to have that type of behavior. But you start slipping up, stop reading your words, stop praying. All of a sudden, lying becomes easy. All of a sudden, cursing becomes second nature. All of a sudden, lusting is like something like, oh, well, you know, I felt bad for. And then you don't. Why is that though it's because you leave that first love you leave that first place of intimacy where he was everything and so what do we have to do we have to repent church and so what is the apostle Paul calling the church to do he's saying repent he's saying listen put off these old ways you died look at your neighbor and say neighbor you died you shouldn't be living for these old ways. You shouldn't be living these old mentalities. You shouldn't be living this old mindset. You shouldn't be living that. You should be living as a new person. And so now this will bring me to my third point, glory to God. It only took me like four weeks to get here, praise the Lord. But to the third point, look with me at verse 12. And he says here, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved... Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. The third thing, and please repeat this after me, who our life is determines our formation. In the preceding verses there, he says, do not lie to one another in verse 9, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who was renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And so there is something that should be taking place in, in, in our life as Christians. We should be daily becoming more like Christ. 
daily, we should, our, our life, our reflection to others, what others see in us should not be our flesh. They should begin to see the spirit of God manifesting in us. They should begin to see the fruit of the spirit manifesting in us. They should begin to see the life of God manifesting in us. That means everybody around us. Say everybody around us. Not just church folk. Mm-hmm. See, because we all know how to act in church. We all know how to act when we get around church folk. We all know what not to say in front of church folk. We all know what not to do in front of church folk. But, but, but when we are away from holy people, when we are away from people who we know, or at least we think, love God, how are we acting? See, because it's not us you got to impress. As a matter of fact, you're not living to impress anyone. You are living to be a definition of what a Christian is before everyone. That's what we're doing. We're not living to impress them. We're not living to make them say, man, what a great person they are. That, that's not why we're living like this. We are living because we want them to see Christ in us. We want them to give glory to God. The good works that we do, we want them to glorify our Father. Amen, somebody. That is the way that a Christian is supposed to be living. And so the apostle tells us that we are being formed. We are being renewed according to an image. And so the image is Christ. He is the image. And we are looking at his image. And when we look at his image, we are obviously not looking at his physical attributes. We are looking at his character attributes. And we are saying, okay, my life is supposed to reflect that life. And so what I do as a Christian I'm supposed to be doing is as I look into the word of God, which we know is a mirror, I am supposed to be looking at the character of Christ, the qualities of Christ, the qualities of what God has called me to be. And I need to be measuring my life with, those, with, 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 with that reflection. I need to be measuring my life to see where am I at according to this standard. What is it that needs to change? What is it that needs to become more like him? Where is it that I'm falling short? Where is it that I need repentance? Where is it that I need to submit a little bit more? Where is it that I need to stand up? and? Because it's not just submission. It's not just repentance. Sometimes it's that we are omitting to do things. Hello, somebody. Sometimes we are just not doing things we're supposed to be doing. And so the apostle tells him that you are to put on some stuff. Say, put on some stuff. He says this here, he says, we are supposed to put on tender mercies. Now remember, when we looked at this other list of things that was there, that were, that, that, that were all of the negative stuff, in, in verse 8 he says, but you yourselves are to put off all these. So you take off some things to put on some things, right? So you take off in verse 8, and then over here in verse, in verse 12, you're putting on stuff. So you're taking off this anger, right, and you're putting on tender mercies. See, the two can't be in the same house. See, because when you're walking around with this anger inside of you, this embitteredness, when you're walking around with these, with, with these feelings that are just choking out the life, you can't walk with tender mercies. You heard what I said? What does tender mercies mean? Well, when I was looking up the definition, it, was, it, it, it went to the book of 1 Corinthians, I believe, and it's where the scripture talks about the father of mercies. And it said when you, look, when you look up that word mercies, the word is literally talking about when you see someone going through something, something inside of you says, oh. In other words, you are moved by what other people are experiencing. You are moved by what other people are going through. In other words, when you see someone crying, 
You don't just walk by like you don't care. Now listen, you may not know what to do in a situation like that. I can tell you right now firsthand, there are plenty of times when someone will be crying and I'm not exactly sure why they're crying or I can see someone is about to cry and I don't necessarily know what to do. Hello, somebody. Sometimes, you know, it's just, okay, well, praise God, I'm gonna, I, it's just a mental check. I'm going to pray for that person, right? But the fact of the matter is, here's the question. Did something move inside of me? In other words, do you care? Do you care about what other folks are going through? Do you care about what other people are experiencing? Do you care about another person's opinion in the midst of a situation where you're having a disagreement? Do you value their feelings enough that even though they may be 110% wrong in your eyes, do you value their feelings enough to sit back and hear them out? This is what it means to have tender mercies, to have bowels of compassion. That's what it means, to have, to, to have something inside of us that cares about other folks. He say, put this on. You need to have this on you on a daily basis. Put this on. He says, put on kindness. What is kindness? Kindness is moral goodness. Remember that wrath that you had before that, you know, he talks about? Take off wrath. Take off anger. You can't, you, you, you can't, you can't have kindness towards people, people if you're a wrathful person. Can't, you you, 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 you want to hurt folks? You want people to experience the pain that you're feeling? How are you going to walk around with kindness toward them? How are you going to do things with, with, with a moral goodness? You don't. So he's saying, take this off. Put this on. Remove this mess. Remove this thing that doesn't look like me. Remove this thing that doesn't look like I look and put this on. Put on this moral goodness. It also, that word kindness also means integrity. And then he says, put on humility. Put on humility. Walk in humility. Pastor Robert asked a good question in the, in, in the curriculum on Wednesday night. It asked, how is it that we can walk with a positive, you know, self, self, what, what is the word, self, um, Help me out. Glory to God. Y'all are so silent. Self-worth. You know, you, you, you have a good opinion of yourself, right? You have, you have a good opinion of yourself, right? How can you have good self-esteem? Good word. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was it. And son, Alex yelled it out. Praise the Lord. Thank you. He yelled it just so I could hear it. He yelled it into my spirit. I'm just joking. Listen. <laughs> good job. How can you have a positive self-esteem and yet walk in humility? How can you do that? I didn't answer the question because, you know, I don't like to be, you know, the only one answering questions and stuff like that. So I just let the class go how it's going to go. But the fact of the matter is you need to know what God has called you to do. You need to know what you're gifted in. That's what you need to do. You need to know what you're gifted in. But you know how you walk in humility in that? You can know what you're gifted in but recognize who gifted you. How do, how, how, how do you maintain humility? You understand I ain't all that. He's all that. He put that in me. Hello, somebody. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have it. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. And therefore, I walk in humility. But you know what that also does? It also helps you to know your limitations. So when you walk in humility, you have a right perspective of yourself. You, you, you're not over here walking with your head down like you ain't worth nothing because that's not humility. That's false humility. And really, that's just pride bottled up in humility. Did you hear what I just said? False humility is just pride packaged up in humility. Here you go. Here's, you, you, that, that, that ain't humility. Hello, somebody. You need to know what you can do. You need to know what you're able to do. But don't walk around like you're all that. Hello, somebody. 
Because that becomes prideful. That becomes arrogance. You need to know what you can do, but also, at the same time, recognize who empowered you. And then another thing you got to throw into there is you got to recognize what your limitations are. Because just because you can do this don't mean you can do this. Just because you do this well doesn't mean you can do everything. That's, that, that, that's not the way God created you. That's not the way God created any of us. Hello. And so walking in humility, having this heart that is humble before the Lord. And then he goes on to say, put on meekness. Meekness. And what do we get? You know, what, 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 what is this meekness? He said, he's saying, put this on. This meekness, Jesus was meek and lowly. The Bible says that we're supposed to learn from him. And so this meekness, Jesus could have gone on ahead and he could have called in legions of angels. That's what the Bible says, to come and annihilate everyone who was trying to put him to death. That's what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that he could have done that and he chose not to do it. But the question is this. It's not so much because when I was looking up this word meekness, because I've, I've probably preached and used the word meekness hundreds of times, and, you know, and, and, I've, and I've always given this, this one definition. Meekness is having the ability or the power or the authority to act and not do it. When you're a meek person, you could lay the smack down. Hello, somebody. You have the ability to do it, but you don't. You have the ability to go on ahead and blow up someone's spot, but you don't. You have the ability to do, but you choose not to. That is that. But you know what? But the question is, where do I get this meekness from? Hear me. Where this meekness comes from is not just from knowing I have this power and choosing not to use it, but it is knowing who God is. When you understand the creator and your inferiority, hear me now, in comparison to him, you walk in meekness. When you understand who he is, when you understand his greatness, when you understand his all-knowingness, and I, I just made that one up. Y'all got that one there. When you understand his ability to do everything, when, when, you, when you understand that and you grasp all of those things, here's what happens. You begin to walk in meekness because you understand that when I am slighted in this earth, that person, that situation does not control my destiny, but God Almighty controls my destiny. That person does not determine how far I'm going to get or where I'm going to move, but God does. Therefore, I do not need to exert my authority. I don't need to show who I am, but I can entrust my destiny to God. Therefore, I walk in humility because I realize that no matter what happens, my daddy is in control. And I trust that his wisdom is beyond mine. His knowledge is beyond mine. His scope and vision for my life is beyond mine. And while I might be stuck right here at this present moment, and this is a situation that I am irate about and I am overwhelmed with, I trust and I know he's in control. That's where meekness comes from, church. It's understanding that no matter how much you complain about it, it ain't going to change. It understand, it's understanding that no matter how angry you get, that ain't going to change a thing. It's going to potentially get you sick. Hello. It's understanding this and trusting, you know what, God is in control. So you know what, I can walk in a submitted heart, submitted mind before him, yielded everything. That's what it means to be walking in meekness, church. And then he says long-suffering. Say long-suffering long suffering 
Another translation says patience. When you look up the word, it means endurance, perseverance. It means to be long-souled. In other words, it means to have tolerance for situations. Now, all of us are at different places when it comes to this particular characteristic. Hallelujah, glory to God. Some of us have very little patience. Some of us have more patience than others. Some of us are about in the middle. It's all right. We all got it. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says to put this on, patience, putting patience on daily. Probably one of the most difficult things to do, not just with people, just situations. You know, you go, you, you, go, you apply for a job, and what? They didn't call you the next day. You know, you're waiting. You're hoping they call you the next day. They don't call you. You know, a week goes by. You know, you calling them, leaving messages, whatever you're doing, email, whatever it is you do. And you know what? You're not here. You're impatient. You can't wait, you know, to get this response back. You know, you go. I mean, come on, man. We go through drive throughs Hello, somebody. We go through drive throughs You know you ain't. I mean, in most, in most occasions, you're not going to be in a drive through you know, like, you know, for an hour. Hello, somebody. But we'd be up in the drive through You know, can these people hurry up? Come on. I mean, come, come on. You're in a drive through Glory to God. I mean, you know, the, the, the point of the matter is we, we lack this patience dealing with people. Hello, somebody. You know, get saved. Families coming to church. You know, one member of the family, they, they just don't seem to get it. Everybody else got it, but this, 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 this person or this, you know, this, this, this part of the family, whatever it is, you know, they, 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 they don't seem to get it, and we get impatient, and you know what? Well, a lot of times, a lot of times, hear me, when we act on our impatience, we're hindering what God is trying to do. Did you hear me? When we act our, in our impatience, we're hindering, because you know what? We're trying to force things to happen. We just need to walk in what? Trusting him with this patience. Amen? Amen? So he says, with, with, with this long suffering. So now, mind you, he's told you, put on tender mercies, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on long suffering, right? But he goes on to tell you why. Look at verse 13. There's a reason why you need all of this. Bearing with one another. Say bearing, bearing. with one another. You understand? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you got to bear with me. Look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor. You got to bear with me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Bearing with one another. This is the scriptures. Listen, when, you, when you're going through some stuff, glory to God. That's awesome. Hallelujah. When you're going through some stuff, when you're, when, when you're experiencing things and you want to give up on folks, you know what you need to remember? Remember what the scripture says. Bearing with one another. When, when, when you want to disconnect yourself, you want to get out of relationship with other people, when you don't want to fellowship anymore, you need to remember, am I bearing with them or am I ignoring them? Did you hear me? Am I bearing with them or am I ignoring them? Am, am, am I bearing with them or am I just shunning them? Am I bearing? No, 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 no. Am, 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 I, am I bearing them the way the scripture says? Jesus gives us a prime example of what it means to bear with folks. He was with his disciples. He's walking, doing miracles, powers moving. And you know what? They can't cast out a demon. He's like, how long must I be with you? Y'all have seen the glory of God. Y'all have experienced, and still you guys don't have the faith. And so he's bearing with his disciples. His disciples are over here asking him questions. He's about ready to be crucified. And his disciples are asking him, well, show us the Father. What? You haven't seen the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've been with you for the last three years, and you haven't gotten it yet? 
Listen, the reason why this is important for you to understand is because there ain't nobody holier than Jesus. Hello. There's no one on this planet that you will ever meet that had the, that had the type of power operating in his life like Jesus did. There, was no, there is no one that will ever walk this earth that will have the wisdom that Jesus had. There is no one on this earth. The Bible says that we cannot even contain all of the things that Christ did. And so what we've got to grasp is that when Jesus is saying, man, how long must I be with you? There's some validity to that statement. You know, sometimes we're just impatient. Jesus wasn't impatient. Jesus was saying, guys, have you not seen everything? Have you not heard everything? Have you not asked tons of questions and I answered them and you still don't get it? But Jesus continued to communicate. He didn't just shut up and say, you know what, I ain't saying nothing else. Y'all just figure it out. That isn't what he did. He, he, not, on, not only did he continue to talk while he was here on the earth, he did say to them, I'm not going to say much more. He was probably tired of talking. Glory to God. I'm just kidding. You know, he did say that. I'm not going to say much more. But the fact is, you know what he did, which is so awesome, is he said, look, it's good for me when I leave. Because when I leave, guess what? The Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to send a witness, someone to remind you of everything that I've said, and also someone who's going to reveal some new stuff to you, who's going to continue to lead you in this relationship. And so the reality is that he sent someone to continue to communicate, to continue to show, to continue to reveal. This is what the Holy Spirit does. So now we have Jesus, I mean the Apostle Paul, communicating to us, and he says, bearing with one another, then he goes on to say something that I love, and forgiving one another. See, you are only going to bear with me for so long. But when you have to forgive me, bearing becomes easier and it lasts longer. See, because here's what happens. I bear with you until I can't deal with you no more. Once you've, once you've hurt me enough, once you've offended me enough, once you've, I'm done. It's, it's over. I'm done. I'm not dealing with you anymore. That's not what the scriptures teach. So here's what happens. You bear, 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 forgive, forgive, forgive. Bear, 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 forgive, forgive, forgive. That, that's, that's what the scriptures teach us. So you bear with them. When you get to that place, they see, first of all, you shouldn't be, remember, you should be being defined by Christ in your prayer life, right? So that means, see, let me, let, let me tell you the easiest way to bear with folks. The easiest way to bear with them is to make sure you are praying for them. Did you hear me? Make sure when you pray, I want you to just think real quick. Just think. Think about that person or persons that you just cannot stand. Come on. We all got them. I know y'all want to act all spiritual. Be like, my mind is blank right now. I just, I love everyone. I'm bearing with everyone. I've forgiven everyone. But we know you're lying. So repent before the Lord. And now think of that person. Now you got that list of people. I'm sorry. That person. That person. That person. Now, 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 I want you to. Ask yourself this question. How much time do I lift them before God in prayer? Think about it. I bet you that long list just got real short. I never pray for this person. That's why you can't stand them. That's why you have no compassion for them. That's why there's no kindness flowing from you toward them. That's why there is no humility from you toward them. That's why there's no long suffering from you toward them. That's why there's not. You know why? Because you're not, you're not praying for them. You know, God puts difficult folks into our life for a reason. You know why? Because we're difficult. Hello, somebody. He puts difficult folks in our I want you to think about this. This is a good one, too. Think about how difficult those folks are, and then imagine how difficult you are because God puts so many of them in your life. 
I know, I know some of y'all didn't get that, but I want you to just think, just think about that for a moment. How many difficult folks does God have in your life? So that must tell you how difficult you are. Because he's saying, I got to give you all this difficulty to deal with your difficulty. I was going to, you know, anyway, glory to God. So he puts these difficult people in our lives so we can do what? So we can bear with them. And as we're bearing with them and we're praying for them and we're seeking God on their behalf, all of a sudden what begins to happen is our hearts begin to change. Whether they change or not is irrelevant. The question is, are you changing? The question is, are you, being, are, are you able to tolerate them better? Are you able to deal with them better? Are you able to hear the sound of their voice without your hair standing up and not in a good way? Are you able to realize you're about to see this person and your stomach doesn't start twisting? Hello, somebody. Because you know how it is. And, and I'm just telling you this stuff so you can recognize you got a lot to pray about, glory to God. Because when you start feeling stuff like that, you, that, that person that makes, you need to be crying, fasting for them, glory to God. Seeking God's face. God, help them and help me to just walk in. You see, because the truth of the matter is that as you're praying for them, you know what begins to happen? Your perspective. See, this is what I love about prayer. Prayer doesn't change God it changes you it makes you more like him and then you begin to get a heart of compassion and you begin to see beyond that difficult person see because there's some people that they just rub you the wrong way and they're just difficult but have you ever thought about how did they become like that have you ever thought about what they went through? You know, because we always talk about, oh, you know, and, and we hear stuff like this, you know, on, on, especially on recordings and stuff like that. Oh, you know, you don't know what I've been through, so, you know, you can't judge my praise, okay? But can I flip this around? You don't know what they've been through, so how are you going to judge their harshness? You, 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 you haven't walked a, a, a mile in their steps, and you just, ah, that, that, that person really needs Jesus. Hello, somebody. So do you. Mm-hmm. Glory to God. Good preaching. Hallelujah. Listen, listen. The reality is the Bible says, not bishop. This is, this is not, this is, this is a tough pill for me to swallow too because I got to bear with folks. And then he goes on and he says, and we are supposed to forgive one another. Now look what he, he goes on to say this. If anyone has a complaint against another, glory to God. If you have a complaint, in other words, if it's not just, you know, because there, 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 there's two things. There's two things that happen to us, right? Number one is we, just, we, we can just meet somebody after one meeting with them. They just rub me the wrong way. I don't know what it is about them. I just can't stand them. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Glory. I'm, I'm just letting you know that is the way that it happens, all right, for some of us, right? Just something. Uh, I don't know, right? So you have no complaint. You just have this discerning spirit. Um, anyway, anyway. We're, we're just <laughs> I'm not saying that y'all don't have discernment. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm simply saying is, you know, sometimes you just, just folks just rub you the wrong way. Okay. But then there is the other person. There is the person that you have a bona fide complaint about. This person has done something unbiblical toward you. That's a different person. So you see, you bear with one another, the ones that have, you know, rubbed you the wrong way and all that good stuff, right? Bear with them, bear with them, bear with them. Then you forgive. That's what the scripture says. So you bear with one another and you, and you forgive. But look what he says then. Now, now he moves on and he says, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, 
so you also must do. So look what he does. He throws it right back on forgiveness. He says, you know what? Even if you got a complaint against them, Jesus had plenty of complaints against you. You're the one that nailed him to that cross. If you were the only one on planet earth, you would have been the one driving them spikes through his hands, through his feet. You would have been the one who put them thorns on his head. You would have been the one spitting in his face. You would have been the one that would have done it if you were the only person on the planet. And so the reality is he has plenty to complain about against you. Think about all of those things that you do, that you did before you became a Christian. Don't get too crazy about that because I was before Christ, right? But now here's what I want you to do. I want you to fast forward just a little bit. I want you to think about this. How many things have you done to offend Christ since you became a Christian? How many things have you done that you know that they were wrong in the sight of the Lord? And you know what he did? He forgave you. He said, all right. He dealt with it. Now, now let me point this out. Let me, let, let me bring this back to reality. This doesn't mean don't talk to nobody about the situation. That's not what the scripture is saying. As a matter of fact, if you have a complaint about somebody, you should complain to them. Did you hear me? Don't complain to everybody else about them. Complain to them. When I say complain, I don't mean come to them with a list of complaints. That is not what I'm saying. Come to them in a spirit of humility, with tender mercies, with kindness, with all of that good stuff that we're supposed to have. Come to them with that heart and communicate to them what their error was. You know why? Because this is what I found out. What I found out is that 90% of the time, and I'm, saying, and I'm using this word, I'm saying I'm thinking it's more like 99.9% of the time, but I'm going to say 90% of the time. 90% of the time, the person who you have a complaint against doesn't have any idea that you have a complaint against them. The person you have a complaint against doesn't even realize what they did because they didn't do it intentionally. It's just a character flaw that's in them. It's just something that is there that is being worked out. It's something that they're not even aware of. And you're walking around with a chip on your shoulder. You can't stand them. Got a complaint against them. Making your stomach turn. Making your hair stand up. You just can't stand to be around. You, you, you've decided you don't want to be around this person. And this person is clueless to the fact that you have an issue because of what? They know you got an issue because, you know, some people, they just, you know, they can sense it. There's some tension there. But they don't even know what's wrong. And so my, my, my advice communicate with them in a forgiving spirit. Amen? It says in verse 14, he says, but above all these things, put on love. Above all these things, put on love. Because what? Because love is the bond of perfection. It is the thing that keeps you together. He's communicating to the church. And so if you want to be able to bear with one another, with one another, and you want to be able to forgive, you want to be able to do all of those things, then you know what you have to do? You have to put on love. You have to put it on. It has to be something that you are taking daily, that you are putting on. How do you put it on? Well, it's the same way you put on all of these other attributes. You put it on in your intimate time with the Lord, and you allow God to pour it into you. You allow God to deal with your heart. You allow God to remove whatever is hindering that love, because if the love is not there, the bond of perfection won't be there. You know what that bond symbolizes? That bond symbolizes devotion and commitment to one another. If there is no love, there is no devotion and there is no commitment to one another. And so above everything else, 
put love on. Because if you put love on, you're going to have tender mercies towards other people. If you put love on, you're going to be kind towards others. If you put love on, you're going to walk in humility. If you put love on, you're going to walk in the meekness that you should be walking in. If you put love on, you're going to be able to bear with one another in patience. If you put love on, you're going to be able to forgive. But if you don't put love on, it's not going to keep all of those things together. See, because that love keeps all of these things together operating in your life. But when the lack of love is there, well, I'm trying to act mercy. But I can't. You know why? You lack love. I'm trying to be kind, but I can't. You know why? You lack love. I'm trying to walk in humility. You can't. You want to know why? You lack love. I'm trying to walk in meekness. You can't. You know why? You lack love. You're trying to be patient. You're trying, trying, trying. Instead of allowing love to work in you the way it's supposed to. So this love is the thing, it's the glue that keeps it all together. It's the, it's the source that keeps everything flowing towards one another. And this is probably my favorite portion of this part of this verse, verse 15. And it says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God, God has called us to peace. You remember when Jesus was speaking to his disciples? He said, I give you a peace this world can't take away. I don't give you a peace like the peace that this world gives. I give you a different type of peace. I give you a peace that's going to sustain you through storms. I give you a peace that is going to keep you through difficult situations. I give you a peace that's going to keep you walking in unity with one another. And so he says here, he says, let the peace of God rule your heart. And so when I'm looking at the scripture and I'm looking up these definitions, I look up that word rule. And what does it mean to let the peace of God rule our hearts? Now, we know because we've heard preach before. You know, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your mind and your heart. And when you look up that word guard, it literally means to guard, like a guard guards. It keeps something in and so or keeps something out. So this is the way that it guards. But when you look up the word rule, the word rule is a different word. And it literally means to be an umpire. He says, let the peace of God be the umpire of your heart. Oh, glory to God. I love this. Let the peace of God be the one who makes the calls. Hello, somebody. Let the peace of God be the one who determines what you're going to do. And let me, let, let me help you understand something. When you think of an umpire in a baseball game, he's going to tell you that was a foul ball. He's going to tell you that was a strike. He's going to tell you you were safe or you were out. That's not the way the umpire works when we're dealing with the peace of God. Hello, somebody. See, because you got to realize something. When we talk about peace, remember Pastor Robert was talking a while back, and he said, you don't just need the peace of God, you need the God of peace. Y'all remember that, amen? And so we need the God of peace. Well, who is the God of peace? Who is our peace? Let me tell you. It is Jesus Christ. He is our peace. So what is he saying? He's saying, let Christ rule your heart. Let the peace that Christ brings rule your heart. Let the salvation, because where do we get peace with God? We get peace with God through Christ. And so when Christ enters our heart and, seat, and, we, and we allow him to seat himself on the throne of our heart, then what happens is Christ begins to rule our heart. So now the peace of God that we're walking in with God, the peace of God that we're experiencing because of this salvation, that needs to be the umpire of our heart. And God is not going to tell us that was foul. We know that. You don't need the umpire to tell you that was wrong. You don't need the umpire to tell you that. What you need the umpire to tell you is forgive. What you need the umpire to tell you is when that, when, when that situation comes right at you, you need the umpire to tell you confront. When the ball comes, that's, that's coming, that curveball, hello, somebody, is coming at your life through a situation, the umpire is going to communicate to you, Submit. 
The umpire is going to communicate to you how to deal with the situation. He's not going to tell you what the situation is. I hope you get this in your spirit, church. He's not going to just tell you what the situation is. We know what the situation is. We need to know how to deal with the situation. And when we're allowing the peace of God to rule in our hearts, what happens is when those situations come into our lives and we're walking in this intimacy, as it comes in the same way that the umpire screams strike or he screams foul or he screams walk or whatever it is is the same way that the spirit of God will communicate not necessarily screaming but communicating with you forgive confront submit love be long-suffering that is what he communicates to your spirit when you are allowing the peace of God to be the umpire of your heart he goes on to communicate and he says this And this is the fact. The fact is that you will not have the peace of God operating in your heart unless the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly. You know why so many of us have such issues dealing with situations? It's because the word of Christ is not dwelling in our hearts richly. Listen to me, church. When the word of Christ dwells richly, it doesn't mean that you know all of the popular scriptures. You know, like John 3.16? Knowing John 3.16 does not qualify you as having the word of Christ dwelling in your heart richly. (laughs) Understand me. There's some churches that you go to, and I'm sure that some of you, you know, it's it's different in different places. I don't want you to be any other church. Amen? No, y'all didn't say amen loud enough. I don't want you to be any other church. Amen? I want you to be who you are. I don't want you to feel like you need to be. But, you know, you go to some churches, and when you're preaching, I've done it in some churches. As you're preaching, they're finishing scriptures for you. As you're reading them, and they ain't looking down at their Bible. They're looking right at you, and they're, I'm, I got to read them because I can't even quote them. But you know what? They're, you're saying the scriptures, and, they're, and they're, they're finishing the scriptures for you. Why? These are, there are some folks in those churches that the word of Christ is dwelling in them richly. And so what happens? Listen, I want you to think about a bank account, glory to God. Look at your heart as a bank account. Look at your spirit as a bank account. Listen, would you call yourself rich if you had 50 cents in the bank? Did you hear what I said? Like, yo, I am rich right now. I got it going on. Hello, somebody. You have 50 cents in your bank account. Hello. I don't mean the rapper either, 50 cents. Hello, somebody. Be like, yeah, if I got him in my bank account, I ain't talking. I'm talking about 50 cents. Hello, somebody. Two quarters, that's what I'm talking about, all right? You wouldn't call yourself rich, right? But now, if you got stocks and bonds and you got hundreds of thousands of dollars saved up and, you, and you're living off the interest, you might call yourself rich, right? I mean, you know, you got, you got some things going on. You're a billionaire, hello, somebody, then you're definitely rich according to the standards of this world. I mean, let's just be real about it. I'm not try- this is not a trick question. Hello, I know y'all are like, is Bishop going to trick us? Look, I'm not. I'm, just, I'm, try- I'm trying to paint a natural picture. If you had 50 cents in the bank, you wouldn't call yourself rich. If you had $100 in the bank, you wouldn't call yourself rich. If you had $3,000 in the bank, for someone, that's rich. Hello, somebody. If you had that kind of money, to you, that would be rich. But the, but, but the bottom line is that to be rich, you got to have an abundance. That's what it's talking about. It's having an abundance where you don't have to worry about the supply. And so what is the apostle saying? The apostle Paul is saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let there be an abundant supply 
supply of the word of God in you because Jesus said this. Remember I talked about the Holy Spirit earlier. The Holy Spirit will remind you of what it is that he said. And so how can God remind you of what you've never read? How can God bring to your remembrance that which you have never committed to memory? He can't, church. If you have not committed it to memory, he cannot bring it to your, to, to your remembrance. And so the sad part is that so many Christians today, hear me now, I am firm, a firm, firm believer that God still speaks today. I am a firm believer that God will speak to you. He will direct you. When I got saved, I can tell you, I heard the voice of God Almighty. I heard him, man, like I'm hearing you, like you're hearing me right now. That is how I heard God. But what I'm saying is I don't hear God every day like that. Hello. You know how I hear God? Right here through this word. 99% of the time, church, God is going to speak to us directly through the word of God that he inspired, that, that men paid the price to write down, that people have worked late, you know, laboriously to translate. This is where God is going to speak to us. You know what the problem is? The problem is that we want to wait for God. Well, I'm going to just wait for God to speak to me. Half the stuff that you want God to speak to you about personally, he's already written a love letter to you and you need to take the time to crack it open. Hello. Well, I'm waiting for, no, 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 God already spoke to you. Are you listening to what he said? Are you listening to how he communicated it? And are you committing it to your heart? Psalm 119.11, my favorite psalm, one of my favorite scriptures, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That was like the second scripture I learned as a Christian. Thy word, I understood this. If his word is hidden in my heart, you know what happens? Nothing else can hide in there. Hello. When I'm hiding his word in my heart, when I'm treasuring his word in my heart, when I'm putting his word in my heart, you know what? That's when it becomes to dwell there richly. And then I'm able to be a person who is hearing what the God of peace is communicating to me when I'm dealing with whatever these situations may be. Let's continue on in this verse 16. He says this. Now notice, I want to I pause before we look at it. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Comma. Notice, who is he talking to? Who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church, right? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're the church. Look at your neighbor again and say, neighbor. He didn't change context. He didn't start talking to preachers. He's talking to the church. Now, this is important. This is very important for you to grasp this because look what he's about to say. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one. Oh, glory to God. He said the church. He didn't say the bishop. He didn't say the pastors. He didn't say the leadership. He said teaching one another. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you better be teaching me. Hello, somebody. Admonishing me. You should be communicating to me in a manner that is going to bring edification to my life. It is not just a responsibility. That's why I love when when when, when Sister Anna came to me this morning. You know, I, I didn't want to tell you everything, but you know, when we went into the office, she's like, I gotta talk to you. And I'm like, oh my Lord, Anna, she never asked to talk to me on Sunday morning. And so I'm like, man, am I in trouble? Did I do something wrong? I'm you know, I'm like, Lord, did I sin again? I'm just I'm joking. So you know, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what, what's up? So she's there and she's like, Bishop, I feel like I need to address the congregation, and tears are coming down. 
down her eyes, and she's like, and I'm really nervous, and it's on the scripture. And I'm like, you know what? I said, hey, it's confirmation of what God is putting in my heart, you know, to communicate to the church. I said, so you can go ahead and you can share. But you know what that is? She's not a teacher. It was, it was different than the normal opening of a service, but you know what? It was edifying if you received it. And it was something that was communicating the truth of what God wants this body. And guess what? He, he decides. You know what? Understand this. Even her coming to me was confirming what I've been praying about for the last couple of weeks. Okay, God, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to communicate with the church? And, and, and yesterday, this morning is when I was, you know, really dealing with that in prayer. And you know what? She comes and communicates this. And I'm like, thank you, God, for the confirmation. And where did it come from? It didn't come from, you know, what we consider some big, powerful person. But you know what? She is a big, powerful person in Christ. Everybody sitting in here is a big, powerful person in Christ. You've got to grasp that reality. You are a, are a royal priesthood according to the scriptures. You have authority with God, a relationship with God. You have access to the same spirit and the same inspired word as anybody else on the planet. And the Bible commands you. This is not, no, no, this is not something that you have, you know, well, I'm going to just decide whether I want to do this. No, church. This is for everybody in the church. Younger and older. So, so, so the youth are not excluded. This is not just for parents. This is for everybody that calls himself a Christian. He's saying let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that way you can teach. That way you can instruct one another. That way you can admonish, encourage, exhort one another. And then look at the way that he says this. He says you can do this in what? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Looking right here, you do the teaching and the admonishing in the same place, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we all got to be singers? No. If that was what that meant, then God would be a liar. Because we all know that there are some people that they're not called to sing. Hello. There are some people that that is not their gift. But everybody can know psalms. Did you hear me? Everybody should know psalms. Hymns. What are hymns? I, I, this, this is the beauty of this. I want you to know that when this scripture was inspired, they didn't have hymnals. Hello, somebody. They didn't have the hymnals that, you know, some churches have now that they have like, you know, they're like this thick, awesome songs in there. that people. They didn't have those hymnals. So he wasn't talking about those. But they obviously had hymns. They obviously had hymns that they sung and things that they did. And how did they sing these hymns? Well, they sang these hymns because they used the psalms as the hymns that they were going to sing. But then he goes on to say something else. He adds something there. He says, and spiritual songs. In other words, what he's saying is the way that we should admonish one another, the way that we should instruct one another is, you know what, as we're singing together, here's what you got to realize, is that you need to realize that you may not be the best singer on the planet. God is not asking you to do that. But you should not stand there in silence because while you are singing and you are verbalizing the words that are being sung corporately, what you are doing is you are edifying your brother and your sister. I can tell you that there are plenty of times that I can recall being in worship and hearing a brother or sister behind me, not necessarily having 
having the most beautiful voice. It's not like, you know, you're going to have 100 Jamies all over the place. Hello, somebody. And so you're not going to have somebody who's going to make, you know, a melody in your ear. But you know what they can do? Even though they don't have that voice, they can sing a melody into your spirit, something that is building you up, something that is edifying your faith, something that is encouraging you. Because when the hand of God begins to move in the midst of worship and you open your mouth, God will use you to release that anointing. And as he's ministering to you, he's ministering through you. And so that's why you shouldn't stand around as a spectator looking. No, you need to involve yourself. Get involved in what's happening because you know what? Someone next to you, someone in front of you, someone behind you needs your praise in order for what? To be taught about God Almighty, to be admonished about who he is, to be instructed in the ways of the Lord. And so that's why I always communicate. Worship is not some spectator event that you come and you see how good was the music, how bad was the music, how long was the worship, how short was the worship. No, it's something that we come to bring glory and honor to God. And as we open our mouth, we're releasing the edification according to the scriptures, church. According to the scriptures, we're releasing edification to one another. So listen, when you, when, when you got your neighbor next to you, and th- 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 I'm, I'm instructing you now, glory to God. If your neighbor is next to you spectating, I want you to just bump them, glory to God. And be like, Bishop said, I need your edification. Can you edify me today? And just go on ahead with your worship, glory to God. Did you hear what I said? I, I, hope, I hope to see a couple of them next Sunday, glory to God. Be like, well, what's wrong with you? You didn't, you didn't hear that? <laughs> Listen, I need your edification. I need you to uplift my spirit. I need you to worship with me. I don't need to be carrying the weight of your burden. We need to release this together and bring glory and honor to God. You see, so when you start in the Psalms, which are what is written down in the scriptures, you start there with the Psalm. That's the reason why I don't do it to be traditional. The reason why I normally open up with a Psalm is because this is what the scriptures instruct. I'm releasing a Psalm. Then what do we do? We sing our hymns. Hello, somebody. Because these are songs that are scriptural songs, that are biblical songs, and they're not necessarily with a hymn book, but you know what? You got a hymnal right there projected for you, glory to God. And so you have your hymnal, so there's no reason for you not to participate in worship. But then there is something else that he says. He says, and from there, when you come from the Psalms to the hymns, then there should be a spiritual song. And what is that spiritual song? It is a song of inspiration that comes out of your worship, that comes out of your praise, that comes out of you. See, but if you're spectating, there ain't no spiritual song. Hello, somebody. But when you are worshiping out of your spirit, when I say something like, look, just give God glory, give God praise, magnify him, just sing your own song to him. You know how it gets dead silent sometimes? Listen, church, we need to let Let that worship come up before God. We need to be the concert for him. Hello. We need to bring him all because that's what the, because then the spiritual song comes out of our spirit. The spiritual song comes out and you know what? That's when we begin to minister to one another on a whole different level, church. It is when we're singing out of our spirit based on the word of God, based on these songs that we've been singing. They're just there to help you to do what? To get more engaged and deeper in your intimate worship with God. Christian Living Church, this is how we should be as a body. As a body of believers, we should be teaching one another. Every time we start singing those songs and, you know, we, we, we can go through them, we have overcome. I'm teaching you that we have overcome That's part of the teaching, church. You have overcome. You're not some defeated somebody. So if you came in after a bad week, you need to understand you have overcome, period. Hallelujah. 
We sing freedom, why? Because we want you to know you are free in him to worship and see. Because I realized something, that when you can get free in your praise, you can get free in your problem. When you can get free in your situation, in, in the praise and worship, in the midst of whatever you're going through here, you can go out there and you can translate that to where you're going. But if you can't do it here, when you go out there, you're going to be just broke, busted, and disgusted, just messed up. What am I supposed to do? I'm going to tell you what I'm supposed to do. Remember what I did Sunday? I ran from here to there and went and spun around and jumped and kicked it off. That's what I need to do in my situation. Don't get crazy. You ain't got to do it in the middle of the grocery store. Go to the bathroom. Hello. You ain't got to do it in the middle of your office. Hallelujah. Go to the restroom. Close yourself in there and just get your praise on. You know, get your, get, 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 let that freedom dance be a reality. It's not just some emotion or something we're trying to work you into. No, we're trying to bring you to a place in God. That is the purpose, church. Hallelujah. Let's all stand to our feet, please. Hallelujah.